All right, uh, Daniel, welcome to the Founders Lounge. How's it going, Matisse? Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Good. Yeah, absolutely. I'm good. I'm good. I'm excited to have a chat with you. So um, somebody actually recommended to, to me to invite you on the podcast. And then I looked mm -hmm. you up and you've done some really cool stuff. Uh, so you built this thing called Legit Check, which was uh, and you grew to 10 million users organically, as far as I understand, with zero ad spend. So that sounds really cool. And now your focus is on SaaS businesses. So I really want to talk about how to, you know, how to start a SaaS business, how to come up with the idea, how to grow it, um, how to get traffic. I think that that's something that you're pretty good at. Um, so yeah, man, excited to dive in. Absolutely. I'm just as excited. So again, thanks for having me. And yeah, let's just uh, jump right into it. Um, before we start, two truths and one lie. Can you tell me? Can you tell me two truths and one lie about your, your life and or business? And then we're going to tell, I'll try to guess which one is the lie. And then we're going to reveal that towards the end. So are you guessing, but I'm not confirming it to you. And then we're doing that at the end. Exactly. Yes. All right. Let's see. Um, we have number one. So I'll just, uh, you know, use a number for each one of yeah. the three. Number one is we have 95% profit margin. Okay. Um, number two is we grew to half a million users in our first year. Okay. And number three is um, we were only 24 and 18 years old. Myself and my co-founder, uh -huh. David. So yeah, that's one, two, and three for you. Well, they're all pretty wild. Um, <laughs> I know that at least one of them is true. Um, Man, that profit margin sounds insane. I'm going to say that's a lie, but if it's not, let's see. How, if if it's not, I want to talk about I'll, that. <laughs> I'll keep my lips shut. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep that for the end. We need to, for anybody listening to this, you need to stick to the end to yes. find out, I guess. <laughs> that's the name of the game. All right. Nice. Um, cool. So, I mean, just uh, let's just start at the beginning. What's, um, well, one of the uh, first businesses that you built is Legit Check, right? Um, which you talked about online uh, quite a bit in the past. So I don't want to go too much into details about it, but can you just tell a little bit, like, what is that? And um, how did you grow it? Because it just grew massively in terms of the user count, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So in short, Legit Check by CH, or just Legit Check as we'll call it, is an authentication company. Think of authentication for luxury items. So I'm speaking here about maybe clothing, bags, watches, collectibles, uh, sneakers or shoes, especially that kind of authentication. In plain English, we help people tell between fakes and authentics or fake items and authentic items, uh, to put it better. Uh, it is an expensive problem because when you pay maybe 500 or 5,000 in some cases dollars, you don't want to get the fake one because that's only about one to 10% of the value and basically you're getting scammed. So what we do is uh, very shortly, we have a ton of guides. We've published more than a million words. Those are free public guides where people find out for themselves how to authenticate items. Um, if you're short on time, but high on money, or at least a bit higher, let's just say you can pay us for our service. And that is a digital service, basically. Um, 
people send uh, pictures when they check out and we come back with a verdict. And last but obviously there's a Pareto distribution. So uh, most of our revenue comes from these few things that I mentioned. There's multiple smaller things. But the last thing worth mentioning is we also help people get their money back. And that means um, if you've been scammed and you paid via PayPal or via credit card, we can help you get your money back. So we've helped people get back as much as five grand from a scam. Uh -huh. you know, paid five grand for a bag. Turned out it was fake. Five grand now goes to... Um, I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to curse on this podcast, but five grand goes to nothing. And um, yeah, we've yeah, managed to help that person get their money back. Yeah. Um, and so you said you said a, a million words, I think. Is that how did you create yeah. all that content? Do you actually write that? Is that auto generated to some extent? No, no, it's it's a, it's a manual process. So oh, wow, it's yeah. more of a that's more of the media company aspect yeah. of our uh of legit check so um those are free guides where we just researched uh we've uh tested our guides to see whether you know they hold value uh, across a couple you know like when when we find the tail that's what that's how we call it a method to spot a fake we need to test it across multiple multiple items so that it's constant constant across authentic items and constant across mm -hmm, fake mm -hmm. items so yeah, in short, we just researched. We've created this content origin, and it's a manual effort, and it's been led by my brother, who was uh, only 15 when we started this. And uh, he himself led that effort of publishing more than a million words on this topic. And uh, yeah, you can check them out. Like, if you look for anything like, uh, I feel like I'm pitching here, so I'm gonna take it a bit slower on the selling end. <laughs> but uh, if you search for anything like uh, Air Jordan 1 fake versus real, you will see our guide and uh, basically just a bunch of text and pictures. Uh, where it says this is how the authentic should look like this is how the fake one should look like and here's how to spot the difference yeah that's pretty much it the first thing on google it's you guys if i if i search for that um so i imagine that that's how you get most of the traffic right absolutely absolutely um this is what gets us the our number of users and it's you know we can talk about market dynamics or stuff like that but in short yeah mainly through search and mainly for word of mouth because it is you know people are connected there, there's a weak weak uh, viral loop in there where usually there's a buyer and a seller so if two if somebody is looking for a guide they might share it with their seller or with their buyer so but that's a, that's a weak viral loop there uh -huh. how did you get well first of all is that are you the target audience for this because uh, i'll be honest when i hmm. i checked the website before i start before you know when i was doing a little bit of research for the podcast and i actually didn't understand it in the beginning because i'm not a target audience for this at all it's it's not the kind of items that i buy i never had to you know check if someone was legit or not in terms of the physical items if yeah. that's if that's original or not um i was like i don't really get it what exactly are you checking um and i would also hmm. never know that that's uh market that exists right that there's a it makes sense now when you explain it but uh, you know it's not some it's not an idea that i could get yeah we didn't know either that it was a market and we i mean when people ask us about oh so you came up with a plan and you studied the market and you put it down on you know pen and paper i, I always tell people not really we um we basically got lucky and there's no way to uh you know hide that i always put it up front because we just we didn't set out to start a business we woke up one day with one uh 
I, I explained this in, a, in an article on my blog and it did do a few rounds on Hacker News and what have you. But um, to put it very shortly, initially it was just a side project. And for, for the first two years, it wasn't a business. It just started gathering users and gathering users. And I always dismissed as, ah, you know, this is just a side project. But at one point, because because it reached a certain number of uh, of users, which I can't mention because then I will compromise my, you know, two truths and one lie. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, we turned into a business because the uh, quote-unquote market was pulling it out of our hands. So uh, a lot of people were messaging us saying, hey, um, they were very polite. They were saying, thank you for the guide. I appreciate it. I had a look at it. Um, I have this pair of sneakers. Um, I did have a look, but I'm not too sure. Would you mind if you have a look at them for me? And at one point, it was just too many messages at the same time. So um, then that was a, that was the. I think we were getting about five to ten emails a day, and that's when we decided to turn into a business. And we got lucky. I mean, we did work, but it just happened. Now, what I always add as a second part of the sentence is. Um, I think it was. It's also worth talking about how we squeeze that luck. So, in that article where I uh, explained the story, the part that stood out the most for people was okay. Uh, I had a section where I said, okay, let's talk about luck, and I had this structure repeat a few times. What we got lucky with, blah blah blah. I explained what we've done with that luck. So, for instance, just a quick one. We got lucky to the point where SEO-wise, so search engine optimization for those listening who might not know it's a fancy of saying appearing in Google, in Google search results, because that's uh, very valuable. We've hit an SEO gold mine because we found a topic that was underserved mm. and getting demanded more and more. And it was crazy. It was stupid. Like we, we were ranking with short articles scattered around, whatever. So we got lucky with that. But we've tried squeezing this uh lemon of luck if that's if that's a metaphor we try squeezing as much as we could so we learned the ceo we've learned what was doing that was uh working and we double down it because uh, i truly believe you can benefit from somebody else's luck if they're not squeezing it so it i think that's another way to look at the discussion which makes you think how many times are you getting lucky but because you're not squeezing it maybe somebody else's uh squeezing it for you, or you're just missing out. You might not even see it. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I went on a tangent there for a bit. No, it makes I, I think that's actually a very good tangent because um, I've done quite a bit of SEO as well. And it's, it's interesting how easy SEO can be if you find the right niche, right? Um, if you find, as you said, if you find a market that's underserved, um, it can be really, really easy. Well, on the other side, if you go into something that's super crowded, it's like, man, good luck with that. Uh, you know, it yeah. takes enormous amounts of time and uh, effort and money at the end of the day. Um, yeah. One thing that's really cool is like you guys just kept going huh, for like, Two years or so, you said you were, you know, creating the content, not really sure if that's, you know, what, what exactly is going to, if it's going to be just a site project or is it going to end up being a business? That's really good persistence. Like, I guess you must have seen some um, prize at the end or was it just you just enjoyed preparing mm-hmm. the content or? <laughs> I'll be honest, Matisse, I wish I was that smart. I wasn't. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it would make for a great story, as I said, you know, when, when I told friends and they were like, oh, you've seen and you planned, I wish I was that smart. It's not like that. I made a few guys initially when I launched the app because um, I launched it by myself. My brother gets involved 
two years into it when we turn into a business because I come to him and I said, look, this has to be do you want to join? Let's I think I think you'd be great for this. Let's let's uh-huh. do it. He was uh, he was obviously he decided to join because <laughs> I've mentioned that. But um, no, I've written 10 guides when I launched the app. A year after I launched the Android version because people kept asking me and it was it, it was annoying for them. Like they, they messaged me saying, I love the guys. They helped me, but it's like I need to go to my I have an Android and I need to go to my friends who have an iOS phone. And, you know, I, they're not always like, can you just bloody put out the Android app? Because it's like it, it would be great. So when I when I've done that, I think I put up put out another six or seven guides. And it was only when uh, we turned to a business. That's the moment when we said, look, we're going to charge. We're going to have mm-hmm. the highest prices. What's the biggest price on the market? $10 for an authentication. Fine. We'll do 20 mm-hmm. um, Because the point was, <clears throat> we didn't want to sit uh, at our desk all day long looking at pictures of shoes and, you know, do $5 times 1,000, um, you know, authentications, switch the numbers around. So highest prices. And we said, we're going to take that money and put them back into the guides. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll see which guys have priority based on what people buy or like what we authenticate for them because that gives you a bit of an idea and it was only so i think two years into it when it was just my side project uh we had about 15 or 18 or at most 20 guys let's just say because some guys could be reused Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but um yeah i didn't have any i realized i kept skipping your question so i didn't i I didn't answer that question about the target audience and another one so i'm trying my best to keep going for your question uh i didn't have any prize in mind it was just a cypress that i made i was like oh look um it gathered let's say 10 10, users I, i at one point i kept getting into this cycle where i would check analytics i would see a new milestone i would celebrate for a few minutes and then I'll get back to work because mm-hmm. I'll be like, ah, it's just a side project. You know, who cares? I mean, people care. It's lovely, but that's not where what I'm focusing on because I didn't see it having any potential for a business. And yeah, I, I, I like to think of myself as a person with vision back then. But um, this uh, <laughs> maybe this uh, humble me down. <laughs> but um, I still believe that that's another discussion anyway. So uh, yeah, no, um, no target in mind. It was just it was just going and answering emails. Maybe that that's what was um, worth noting about keeping on going because it, it was people who were just anxious. I, we were getting emails from people saying I can't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I got scammed or not. It's like I saved uh, five hundred bucks the whole summer and now I, it might have been for nothing. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you know we had to bring bad news, but um, yeah, that's how we found out as well by doing it for free that we could get our uh our customers money back because uh, we just helped somebody who was was in need at one point mm-hmm. so, yeah very cool love it and so you still own that you still run that right uh how much mm-hmm. how Absolutely. much of your time currently goes into that because you also you have a bunch of other things that you do yeah yeah the business has been matured in terms of you know because uh, i feel like every business has a age cycles whatever so it is a bit more mature it goes a bit by itself because of the help of the team and etc not not that much let's say maybe a few hours a week um something like that and yeah i mean oh, just like with any other business at any point you can double down on it you know reshift but at the moment a few hours a week mm-hmm. and then what else is taking your time right now like what's what's your focus right now uh, my 
my focus at this very second is this podcast with you, with Matisse. Nice. So that's what's taking my time. <laughs> but enough of Buddhism <laughs> living in the present moment. Although that's good as well. Uh, what else is taking my time? We have two other businesses and I run Reddit SaaS. That's a community for SaaS mm -hmm. founders. I run a podcast built around the, the community and, you know, just the usual Twitter stuff because uh, that's that's where we met, right, Matisse? Yes, that's on Twitter? where we met, yeah. 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 Although I've been a bit uh, inactive on Twitter for the last month because I've been off. But um, today's my first day of uh, getting back to uh -huh. work. So uh, <laughs> I should restart. Now that you asked me, you made me aware of it. <laughs> yeah, Twitter is a, it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? It's, I, there's so much value in it. It's so cool. You can meet so many interesting people. You can learn so much. But it could also be a time mm. sink. Like you can just spend so much time, uh, you know, scrolling through it. So um, I tend to go a little bit on and off as well. Just sometimes just delete the app and um, take a break from yeah, it. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's good to like, yeah, ping pong exactly, when, yeah. when you feel like the the benefits are might be outweighing the, the cost. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, it's business at the end of the day. And, you know, it might not be good to always be robotic about it or too objective about it but sometimes it, it, thinking about you know the cost and the benefit makes you say you know what twitter for at this period in time might not be for me or something else so yeah there is something buddhist about you about the, the maybe we'll dive into that as well towards the end of the podcast let's see absolutely let's see if we get to that sure, sure. <laughs> i love buddhism ah there you go yeah. yeah okay i thought so um so and, and so the business that you're mostly focused on right now is Simple Inc, right? Correct. At the moment. So what is that? Yeah, Simple Inc. It's a Notion website builder. For people who might not know, Notion is a, let's just call it a note-taking app that's very flexible. Two things you need to know about Notion. One is very flexible. Number two, people, some people are really love it. Like they're mm -hmm. fanatics about it. So uh, this is worth uh, mentioning because it segues into many people apparently want to turn the notion pages into websites because it's uh, to put it shortly it's very hard to mess it up in terms of visual mm. or aesthetics with notion so uh, people look at that and they say you know what i want a website out of that and that's why we've built a notion website builder it takes your notion page turns into a website and now your website is powered by the very notion uh note so anything you edit there gets uh, <clears throat> gets translated onto your website so uh yeah I could phrase it like that, I could phrase like a no-code website builder, mm -hmm. or I can, I guess, spin around, but this is in plain English. And how's that going now? When did you start? How's it, how's it going right now? I, I think I checked the traffic and you're getting quite decent traffic to the page. Yeah, I can tell you actually. Um, let's I, see. I checked I with know uh, sure SimilarWeb, right? You know the... Yeah. SimilarWeb? Uh, sometimes That's it actually, messes it's it up. It's going to be interesting to compare. So I think SimilarWeb says like 150K per month or so. Nah, not that much. See, in the first month at one point, we had like 106 November 2021 when I was just previewing. Uh, we, we, we didn't even launch. It was just like a preview. It said 160K page views or whatever they show users. It wasn't anything remote close to uh -huh. So at the moment, we get about four or 500 clicks a day. So what's that? That's... 12, 15K? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Something That's like interesting. That. So. Like that. But you know why you shouldn't trust this? Because it's a new website. And yeah, so at the moment it shows 150K this month. Shouldn't trust it because my website is new. Like it's got less than a year. So 
I don't know exactly how they estimate those things, but I know that the, an older the website is, uh, the better it kind of estimates. That's crazy. It's off by a factor of 10. I also, I always thought that similar yeah. web is like reasonably reliable. I would say like, okay, 20% plus minus, sure. But 10 times it is, more? It is, but for like bigger websites, like for legit, it's about right. We get three to 450K users uh -huh. a month. And at the moment it shows April 347K. Which is about you know ballpark. Yeah, yeah. I don't even know exactly, but it, it is about that. Interesting. Okay, and so yeah, so uh, did you say how are you promoting simple dotting, or how, how are you getting the traffic? Um, let's see. Um, search, but um, search isn't that strong of a so the potential for search or SEO isn't that strong for this because. We're basically reliant upon Notion. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we grow with them, which is good, but not enough people know about Notion. But obviously, we've made a bet by building this company that Notion will grow, and we are, let's say, bullish on Notion. So search. Then there's a bit of word of mouth because we have a freemium plan where <clears throat> people build websites and they have a badge built with simple.ink. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. People find out about that. Um, that's good. Word of mouth as well because people love the product and, you know, they, I mean, we get love letters, so I'm hoping some of these love letters go to their friends as well, and they're like, hey, check this out. And besides that, Twitter helped. Uh -huh. um, I don't want to overhype it because I think it's, how should I put this? It's a, it's a different beast to try and build your product solely on Twitter. Some people can do it, some people can't. I myself, and I'm not killing it on Twitter, but I know I'm doing a, at least an average job there. I wouldn't rely upon Twitter by itself. So sometimes people sell this dream of, you know, I'll build it on Twitter and, and it's building public and it's this and that. It's beautiful. It's yeah. amazing. But if it's your sole strategy, um, you might get slapped by the wrist of uh, fate or mother nature, as I like to call it, because mother nature teaches mm -hmm. you best. Like if you're going two years into it and you find out you don't have five or 10 paying users because you're building public and haven't developed any other channel. I mean, don't listen to me, go and try it. But, um, You'll find out one way or another. Or maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you know something I don't. And you actually are able to kill on Twitter. Uh, I just wanted to take that bit of a mm. break to, to not be another person that paints this picture of Twitter as this dream. Although we well, you're, not selling a, you're not selling a Twitter course, so that's why you're not saying that Twitter is the thing, right? <laughs> well, maybe I do, but it's just a reverse psychology <laughs> thing. Pay me 99 bucks a month and I'll show you how. Yeah. Um, no, I don't actually. No, not yet. Not yet, maybe. <laughs> maybe at some point. I mean, there there's some examples of yeah. that. Obviously, I'm sure you know Peter Levels, right? He's um, yeah, absolutely. So he's killing it there. Um, and there. There's a few other examples, but you know, those are the few that we know because they really made it on Twitter and they you know grew to like 150, 100, 200 thousand followers and um, have like a yeah. almost like a cult like yeah. following at some point, and they can promote stuff and it just goes viral or viral or at least uh spreads across their community but yeah twitter game yeah. is uh it's a lot of work it is and even in peter's case i'll just briefly mention this because it is worth mentioning but I'll, I'll let you drive the direction of the conversation even for peter it was years and years and i, I don't know back to 2050 i'm not even sure but at least a solid bunch of five years at least and he was doing it back when he wasn't cool. Mm. And so I'm not trying to bring it down, but I, I'm just saying 
it can't be the only mm. one. Or as I said, maybe you know something I don't. But uh, yeah, not to not to bring down your example because I love Peter. I follow him and I think he's cool. Um, but uh, yeah, that's it. That, that's no, it's true. It's true. I, I agree. Um, there's a guy now who's also in the UK and he's doing something similar in a way. He wants to do 12 Shopify apps in 12 months. So that's kind of cool. I'm, I'm oh, that's actually... Cool. What's his name? His name is... Um, 12 Shopify apps. That's, that's interesting. I like the Shopify ecosystem. Never gotten into it. Never... I mean... Jack. I think I had a Shopify... St- Jack Copan. I'll... I can send okay. you his Twitter, uh, which sounds really cool. Uh, I think he just start. Well, he's probably started at the beginning of this year or so. Uh, but I'm I'm looking forward to see how that's going to go because I I think Shopify has has a massive potential. So, um, yeah. get him on the pod. I did invite him. He just replied to me yesterday, and he was like, he said that he's heads down, heads down, just focus on building right now. He doesn't want to do anything else. And I said, yeah, gotta re- respect the the focus. Um, Oh, I just want to do it on a Sunday <laughs> if he's able to. But if he doesn't want to, it's it sounded like okay. he's just uh, not interested in doing anything else right now. But uh, maybe you know, maybe later, maybe at some point. Hopefully, he's gonna come on. Would love to yeah. see how how things are going and yeah. just for him to explain a little bit his plans. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Okay. Simple dotting. Um, is that your first SaaS business or did you have any other SaaS experiments or, or products? No, I did have experiments before. Um, I, I don't even know the number, but a few smaller ones. Uh, I couldn't put I couldn't put a number on it because, you know, some of them were released, but like just quietly and I, I didn't mm. try doing anything with them. Uh, some of them, like I even had a few SaaS, small, smaller products within Legit. We still have one which is you know driving a significant part of the revenue you know is is like a package and includes digital services and software um but yeah it looking forward to the rest of my life assuming uh, a piano doesn't fall on top of my head when i leave the building and you know i keep on staying alive and building it won't be the mm-hmm. last one and i plan to do more and more of these probably as long as it's the as long as it continues to be the this business model that I like and I think is, you know, a fairer exchange of value for the world. That sounded like a mouthful. <laughs> but yeah. Um, are you technical? Do you do you code yourself or do you have other people do the coding? Not at all. I don't I don't. It was actually when I when I made the app, the legit check app first one. That's how we started actually. It started as a side project because I was learning how to code. I said, I want to learn how to build an app. Started, got halfway through, and I found that I hate it. I, I love watching somebody code because, you know, it looks like art. It looks like it's flowing and it's uh, amazing. But if I had to do it, I was just going mm-hmm. crazy. But I don't know how I did manage to finish uh, building the app because it was halfway through and I, I could have dropped it. But no, I'm not technical. So uh, we just hire. And uh, I am technical to the point where I have to know what's happening as a project or in, in product mm-hmm. manager especially product but that's about it and uh, you know sometimes it helps because not being fully technical sometimes i come up with solutions for uh you know the people i work with and sometimes i get oh that's genius you should be a programmer you should be a developer because you i'm like no you don't get it that's the point i'm not becoming one so i can i can see 
these things but you're sweet <laughs> thanks for the compliment but um yeah so that's uh that's pretty much um how, how it stands not looking to get technical at this point but i did come from the world of design um, so maybe that speaks to the to the that gives a bit more context you're like jason freed type of guy as in so jason freed is a co-founder of basecamp and hey.com and they're yep. obviously extremely successful in my view one of the most successful SaaS businesses out there right it's like they they're wildly profitable never raised any funding they're just like do their own thing they don't care about the other world they have this kind of unique marketing approach um and yeah there used to be a design agency right and then they started building products yeah i love jason and i'll take that as a compliment because uh, my answer is yeah. i've had jason on my podcast and we we're not friends we're friendly maybe i don't know he replies to my emails that that's i about mean it. i that's, think even that's friendly is too much <laughs> but yeah I, I mean i'd be surprised if he knows me but i know him and um I, I i did get some advice from him and i really look up to him so it's he's he's like a like mm. a role model and uh yeah i will take that compliment gladly uh and if i'm not uh i'm looking to integrate parts from him so I'll call it that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he are, they are, to me, they were, they were always an uh, inspiration as well in terms of how they build the business. And um, yeah, the, I think they're great. I, I don't actually like their designs. Yeah. It's funny because I think their designs, if you if you try like Basecamp, <laughs> I'm like, guys, what? This looks so strange. Um, but yeah, I know what you mean. It's just their yeah. own thing, right? I use Basecamp. Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. I use Basecamp. Yeah, yeah. And even, hey, I, I thoroughly look at it, looked at it. The thing is, UI wise, they're not respecting yeah, any standard, the... <laughs> but it it UX wise is gr absolutely uh -huh. great, um, and UI wise, <laughs> I don't actually mind it because it, it's kind of like when you when you meet a person, and they're different, there's something different about them, whatever it is. But I look at them, and I say, you know what, you're like expressing yourself. It's clearly mm. yourself. Like if you're doing it just to try to impress, then people can smell it. But if somebody is different, maybe even in a weird way, but they're themselves, I'm like, you know what, that that's like your personality seeping through like it's, it's, it's radiating so same here i see their personality coming through and i don't mind it that i'm not looking at a piece of art and i still love it so i don't look at it and say uh i don't know this doesn't inspire me it's not respecting mm. the standard which, which i think mm. is interesting but um i still love it and it's one thing i really love about their design is that it's closer to timeless like basecamp's been looking about the same for ages i know they've i think basecamp 3 they redesign every uh -huh. now and then it's been around since 2014 I'm, i might be wrong here but it's about the same design language with minor updates but it still works and uh, uh yeah looks sweet even today so that's really interesting that's actually something that i think about quite a bit because I mean, you said if you are, um, you know, you show your authentic design or, you know, who you really, really are. And in a person, I also really appreciate it. I'm not just like, you know, be who you are. I want to meet you as a real person. And I think I myself, Yeah. I guess the older I get, the more I just try to really be myself, less of a whoever I'm supposed to be, but who I actually am, hmm. right? Um, then when yeah. it comes to products, it's interesting because I think... And I talk about this from time to time on the podcast. It's like, when should you be completely innovative and just, you know, do whatever you feel is the, or like figure out a new solution to something, which 
Basecamp seems to be doing in a way, right? They're just like, we're not going to look at what anyone else is doing. We're just going to figure out our own thing. And that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. Like when she do that mm-hmm. and when she just say, okay, like, this is the core of our product. Sure, we're going to innovate on that. But like everything else, let's just take what's already working. Let's not, because uh, it's, first of all, I think if you over innovate, um, it can be dangerous. Because innovation is like innovation is risky, right? You don't maybe it works for you, but that might not work for anyone else. Um, so on one side it's risky, on the other side it's also just not familiar, right? If you do, if you have, if your UX, if your design, if your the, the patterns that you use are completely different from everyone else, then I guess it works for your users, but maybe to everyone else it's just going to look, or to any new user who's switching from some other software, it might just look completely foreign and they'll not feel um, comfortable using it. It, it, Obviously it works for them. So, you know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but (laughs) that's just my thinking. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a great question, actually. I think, I think the answer is one of these questions where there's no clear cut answer, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't attempt answering it. My feeling tells me that uh, the answer is uh, when you can afford it. So you can innovate and be different and etc. when mm-hmm. you can afford it. I don't mean only financially. So let me explain. Uh, Basecamp is able to afford being different with uh, Basecamp, the company, which is now again, 37 signals. So the parent company is able to afford being different with Hey.com because obviously they can afford it mm-hmm. financially and they don't have anything else to prove to themselves to etc. And they can just do it because if it flops, it's like, well, whatever, we spent two years or whatever, but um, we've had fun. So affording it can, can mean financially, of course, they, you can afford in terms of, I don't know, you've already got distribution. So if it goes bad in a year, you're, you know, uh, start something else using mm-hmm. the same distribution. Or, and I think very importantly, you can afford it mentally, uh, you know, on a, on, a, on a mindset level. So like, are you looking to get as rich as possible in the span of six months? Or are you able to play the long-term game 15 years, even if you're the artist that is starving and, you know, mm-hmm. software-wise, <laughs> you're the artist that's starving and is just doing art because in the, in the 16th year, it might kick, kick off, it might click. Um, can you afford it like that? Are you know, what's your life situation like? Do you have anything, any person to take care of? Because it, it's, and there's no right or wrong answer, I have to say, in my opinion. I think it's, it's pretty much about how you juggle these things in your life. So some people want to get billionaires by, want to become billionaires by 20 something. Some other people don't really give a crap about that and they're happy to go, you know, just die without making a shit ton of money. And obviously there's many shades of gray in between. But um, I think you can innovate when you can afford it. And you can be uh, bankrupt and have nothing on your CV and etc. You can still afford it. It's down to down to people. But um, when I say afford it, it's just a nicer way of saying, "Are you okay yeah. if it doesn't work?" Because uh, can can you can you take it if it doesn't work? Because not innovating means your piggy bank is something that works. So and we can talk about that when we talk about starting a SaaS yeah. and etc. But um, yeah, countless of examples where people just uh, uh, piggybacked on. I mean, countless. Most ninety nine point nine percent of the examples out there are uh, things where people are piggybacking mm-hmm. on something. Mm-hmm. True mm-hmm. innovation is super rare. But um, yeah, you made another point which I wanted to address, but I don't remember what it was about. Uh, yeah, 
I don't remember. But yeah, Basecamp basically was able to afford because they had a design agency back in 2002 or four when they started Basecamp. And it was going okay. And they weren't looking to... Basecamp was kind of this thing, not growing on its own, but they kept doing the agency thing for a year or two or three before they said, you know what? Basecamp is mm. where it's at. And the same when they, I don't know, changed Basecamp completely. They said, you know what? We're going to keep... Uh, and they still do to this day Basecamp 1 and 2 which is software from 2004 and 2000 whatever they still maintain it so they're like I think they said you know what if we release this new thing and it completely flops mm. and it can't really but it, nobody guarantees going to be a major hit we still have this user base that's still paying for this thing which we're not maintaining anymore but people to this day are using software from 2004 because they like mm. Basecamp 1 not Basecamp 3 uh, or 4 now I guess um, but three and four are, the, are in the same bucket. Um, so they were able to afford it. And I've talked to, I mean, Jason likes his cars. David, his co-founder, like, likes yeah. his cars and whatever. But I, you know, looking back at their uh, at their history, I don't think they're really, I mean, to this day, they, they say we leave hundreds, or, I mean, maybe tens, I don't know if hundreds of millions of yeah. dollars on the table because they charge $99 yeah, per month yeah, flat. Yeah unlimited users and they, they don't charge 825 per user uh you know have that inbuilt expansion revenue and etc that that is money left on the table but it's mm. a choice they made mm. because they can afford it and they want to afford it mentally for the for the mind space and what have you because when a big customer goes away when an enterprise customer goes away it's just another 99 bucks not a contract worth so i don't know how many That's digits also true they're so, very yeah. interesting. Another point on innovation that just occurred to me when you were talking is, I think it's important to also figure out what actually kind of works for you, what kind of person you are. Because, you know, if you look at Basecamp, well, clearly being completely innovative or completely rebellious and just doing things in their, their own way, it clearly works for them, right? They've, you know, they've made it work. They, they seem to yeah. have good sense for innovation or whatever good skill good um i don't know where it boils down to problem solving empathy whatever it is taste taste um and some people don't right and if you don't then maybe let's not try to over innovate let's just you know take what already works um i don't personally i don't see myself as a super innovative person right i prefer to see what already works and take that and just use it in a different context or try to build on top of it right improve it a little bit but I would suck at just trying yeah. to completely rethink something and say, oh, yeah, no, I'm going to do it completely differently. I don't think it would end well. Yeah, but it's, again, I don't think there's a correct and wrong answer because it's like back to staying true to yourself. If you know that, that's great because being an innovator is a bit of a curse. It's like uh, being an innovator like that, like them, like Jason and David, comes with a, a lot of curiosity, a lot of, Appetite for risk. They had that 1.45 product. Mm. They sunsetted everything except Basecamp. And that, mm, I don't know how much it hurt them in the long run, but I can tell you, I, it's pretty safe to say that in, in the moment, it didn't feel fantastically great. Or maybe by the time the decision came out, it was, but uh, not not when they were realizing it. Um, or, you know, I think it came with calm, but it would have been great in a parallel universe to have them all working and flourishing. So being an innovator is a bit of a curse because we only hear about mm -hmm. the ones that made it. Um, and Jason and David are great examples, but um, I'm sure you can ask them that luck and whatever. It's that discussion again. So knowing yourself like that maybe helps because they went really deep because they are like that. Turns out, it turns mm -hmm. out like they found out. 
uh, really deep on their tunnel of innovating and whatever we want to, whatever label we want to put on it. But um, there's plenty of people as well that went really deep on their tunnels, which sometimes it means going from zero to one, innovating. Sometimes it means yeah. going from one to n, to quote uh, yeah. Peter Field's book. So uh, I guess you get an edge, you get your edge when you're true to yourself like that. And uh, I'm preaching it, but I'm young, so I'm still exploring <laughs> that. I don't. Uh, I found I found this out by doubling down, but I feel like there's still a shit ton more to 100%. learn. Always right. Um, okay, so speaking of innovation um, and ideas and so on, let's talk a little bit more about SaaS, right? So that's been your focus in general right now. Mm -hmm. um, you're running the, as you said, the SaaS subreddit as well. You have a podcast about SaaS businesses. Yeah. You write about SaaS businesses and so on and so forth. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about how, you know, and there are a lot of people out there who want to start a SaaS business. I think especially among technical founders, um, that's tends to mm -hmm. be quite a popular um, desire to start a SaaS. So I wanted to talk a little bit about yeah. how to start and just from the first first steps, how should we do this? What's, um, should we just go from like, where do you even get an idea and then how do you build it? And then how do you launch it? And then how do you grow it? I'll, st I'll start with just a few quick bullet points of why you should listen to me, because I feel like if I was listening to this, I would be like, well, okay. Like people got already here. They've listened to the story, but I think it's worth mentioning that one, I've built a few SaaS products and there's people who know this better than me. So always look out for another opinion, mm -hmm. disclaimer, but I built, I built a few. I had a few that flopped. I spent a few hundreds of thousands, you know, just wasted into building stuff that nobody wanted. By, so by I, I got way, my scar tissue. Sorry for interrupting. I've, so in... Gone? Probably in two or three episodes from now, uh, I'm gonna have a guest who just spent a million dollars on a failed SaaS product. So they kept building, building, building. It cost them just below a million dollars, and then in the end, they they shut it down because they mm -hmm. said, "Well, it's not something work." They have other products. They have like a successful agency, and it's gonna be interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, we haven't recorded it yet, so we're recording. See? I think two, three weeks from now. Uh, so hopefully the pod is going to be live in about a month or so. See, they have an agency, so they innovated when they could afford it. it was uh, expensive, back to the <laughs> point. But yeah, it is. But you, don't, I don't know if that agency is making a hundred million or a million a year. So it's like, anyway, yeah. listen to that episode as well. For sure. Cool. Sorry. For sure. Continue. Uh, it, it, yeah, no worries. So yeah, I've got my scar tissue to prove it. Uh, other people have it too. So I think sometimes it's worth listening more to the failed stories than the the ones that work because you can find the ones that worked everywhere and they have a bit of an incentive to be uh, spun around. Not always, but you know, worth knowing that. What else? Oh, and the SaaS subreddit. So I've been running this for a few years now, I think four, something like that. And I, besides my experience, I kind of read almost everything that gets posted there. So I did, I did read a lot of uh, literature, so to speak, in the field. Uh, that said, I don't know it all, but um, whatever, enough of the disclaimers. So you were talking about, let's start with what? With number one, the so, idea um, or like I deciding so, what um, to build. I feel like even be besides that, so number zero is this big question of how we're going to handle mm -hmm. the technical side. So some people are technical, they can code, uh, but it, the, I guess the question is worth asking, how well can you code? Because 
you will need a bit of a diverse skill set here. And if you don't have that, that's okay. Uh, you will need either, you will need a mix of time and money. Some people have enough money to just hire for the technical side. Some people have the ability to raise money to hire. That's a path as well. Some people don't have time or money. And let's see, what paths are there? You can start selling something that you can make out of your bare hands, like a digital product, like look up Rob Walling's stair-step approach or staircase approach, where he says, don't just jump right into a SaaS. Start with a digital mm -hmm. product or something mm -hmm. like that, step one. Then something closer, maybe an agency or whatever, closer to your SaaS, and then get into that because it's you can innovate when you can afford it. You can go to the next level when you can afford it. Um, let's see, what else can you do? Um, or I guess, I don't know, if you've been born into a rich family, use that. Or if you have access to resources. Any leverage, right? Whatever. Any you will need that you combination. Yeah. How do you Any feel about no-code yeah. tools? Yeah. Like the no-code tools to build a SaaS? That's exactly mm -hmm. why I want to talk about first about how you're going to solve the technical problem. Because the idea and how much uh, bandwidth you have technically are hand in hand. So if you're broke, you don't have any technical expertise and you don't know anyone and you're what, et cetera, and you want to start a uh, deep mind sort of company, probably won't be where you mm -hmm. have the most leverage. So then again, you might be very technical and you might have loads of contacts and you want to start something very dense, very heavy, technically. You are able to, do you want to though? Up to you, you need to use your edges. No code works so building something with no code works and it's, it will start working more and more but for pretty basic stuff and that's fine most of what i build is is basic because i'm not technical so my thinking is i don't want to go into something you know loads of algorithms and loads of this and that and these technologies that are new because i don't know what the hell i'm talking about so that's not where my edge is um i'm trying to use my edges and you know wrap the other things around so it's kind of like, like anything else in life. You want to juggle these balls and see how you can put them together, mix these ingredients so you get the best outcome, the most powerful outcome. So before idea, technically, what what's the situation like there? And even no code is an option, uh, but don't expect to build something completely um, complex. And I would say as well, before we get into the idea, it doesn't have to be... So remember what I said earlier that some people like Rob Walling are uh, recommending that you start with something mm. simpler that gets you a bit of revenue. Maybe the road to your SaaS, uh, to your fully fledged SaaS, involves using no code tools to build something simple and, you know, something that get Bless you. <coughs> Excuse me. Something that gets you a bit of revenue that is allowing you to pour that money into mm. building something stronger. So, um, yeah, this is this is the long disclaimer on step zero, which is how are you handling the technical side? All right. What do you think? I agree. I think wonderfully said. All of that makes sense oh. to me. Have you ever built a SaaS or are you looking to do anything in this space or are you just observing had, it? I had what two situation SaaS like? experiences. One of them was when we actually... I just partnered with somebody who already had a SaaS business and um, I was like, okay. And they mm -hmm. were hard, like heavy technical team. Uh, they didn't really know much about marketing. The mm -hmm. only reason they were just about breaking even, but the reason was because they kind of sold it a little bit to friends, word of mouth. It was like a B2B SaaS. Um, 
so I just came on to do some marketing and sales. And we said, I was more like a referral partner, really, not not like a co-founder, to be completely honest, right? But a little bit more hands-on yeah. where we were also, you know, having meetings and we're like, okay, I think we need to build this feature and we need to build that feature. So a bit like a referral partner slash product manager on that uh, uh, on that project. Um, the other thing was we did launch one SaaS, but it went terribly. Um, we kind of built an MVP on top. So it was a page builder. It was actually a page builder, <clears throat> uh, like a no-code, simple page builder for a very specific niche. Um, we built it on top of mm -hmm. WordPress because that's something that I'm very familiar with. Um, and we said, okay, you can do a lot of stuff with WordPress. Why don't we just package that into a specific, for a specific target audience, simplify it. Because even WordPress is relatively complex, to be honest. If you're not technical, like installing WordPress and like setting it up, yep. it's like, man, it's not, like my mom couldn't do it. So that means it's kind of complex, right? <laughs> That's <laughs> always for me a, a test. For sure. Um, it was, I think the idea was interesting, but we never really managed to launch it. We never really managed to build a product really well. And then at some point we just kind of gave up. Other ideas came up that seemed better and uh, yeah, gave up on that. So uh, had some experiments, yeah. but nothing, no actually actual successful SaaS businesses. Mm -hmm. That makes it glad I asked you because I did miss out. We did miss out in this uh, conversation. We're having the opportunity, the possibility of partnering up with someone mm -hmm. or uh, yeah, joining something that already works as, you know, with your edge, because I mean, you can be a co-founder at it later yeah. on. Uh, I guess, yeah, some people are getting really anti about, oh, you're not a co-founder if you didn't start. Yeah, whatever. whatever. Uh, An important factor here is, yeah. which I think a lot of people are not aware of it so much, is like people who are very technical, they tend to hate marketing, while at the same time, <laughs> building a business is really usually much more about marketing than actual technical parts, right? Yeah, you need a product, but if you're not, if you're not marketing it, if you're not selling it, there's, you know, you don't have a business. So it's really important for those two. I'll say I'll say that's that's true. I'll say that's true depending on the product that the marketing side is more important. I tend to choose businesses like that mm -hmm. because that's where my edge is or that's the edge I'm trying to build. But um yeah. It's what we talked about earlier. Like if you're trying to build DeepMind or a company like that, uh, the situation is different. But for most people listening to this and their intentions that I estimate, uh it is true marketing might be a bit more important than product but you can't have one without the other one because you can't have a shitty product and do anything about it um so yeah probably both equally important or it's down to every person to set the set the volume buttons on each how much marketing how much product but yeah let's see back to our thing so we we've addressed step zero the technical side Step one is what you said, the idea, right? Let's call it that. Let, let's build this together cool, in a cool. in a conversation and then we'll we'll recap it at the end. The idea. So the question is what? What what business should you start? Or like how do you pick an idea or like how important it is? Um, is yeah, how do you get an idea? I, I think there are two factors. Like how to find a, a, an idea and how to evaluate if that's actually a you know a good thing to start working on. Yeah. Two things, and I, I won't insist on the first one. Is what we talked. Number one is what we talked about earlier on innovation. I did try and innovate because with my first successful business, Legit Check, I we did innovate. We got lucky, but we did innovate. We've created this mini mini industry. 
and then by default, I kept trying to do that. And at one point, I realized, you know what? This is a bit of more of a lottery game because it's like I did get lucky on the first one, but like how many times can you get lucky in a row? And as I said, if you can afford it, if you're looking to do only that, if that's what feeds your soul, uh, by all means, go for it. But number two, the one I'm insisting more on is, of course, building on mm. top of something that already works. And most of the businesses out there are built, you know, I'm not saying you should clone or replicate something, not at all, because you will need your edge. And although you'd be surprised because there's so many, I see these days, I mean, these days, these, this, this, these last few years, so many copycats, but regional mm -hmm. copycats, like uh, DoorDash mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. India or whatever. And that's just a classic example. So I guess even that works. I even started seeing stuff like, cloud actual cloud businesses built just for uh you know the middle east or a certain mm, area yeah. and they are killing it um so i mean that's what rocket internet is doing right you know them who's that rocket internet it's like a startup how do they call it startup incubator or startup i don't know launch yeah business um they're based in germany and they they're pretty massive and all they do is they just take businesses huge businesses mm -hmm. uh, or like very successful startups in relatively early stage that work really well in either the US or Europe. And then they copy that in Africa, Middle East, Asia. Mm -hmm. I think that those are the three main markets. And they just they just figured out how to copy something extremely fast and how to scale <clears throat> it extremely fast. And if it doesn't work after the first few months, they shut it down. Um, and they've, they've learned how to, you know, there are some regional specifics always, right? In terms of communication, in terms of branding, in terms of just language, payment methods, et cetera, et cetera. So they've really figured that out and, uh, that's all they do. I'm, I have no idea how they're doing right now, but they probably built, I don't know, 50 businesses or so. Some sure. of them very successful. Some of them not at all, but mm -hmm. yeah, pretty interesting. Yeah. For somebody starting out just now, this might might not be it might be a bit controversial because like when you do something like this you need a few edges and of course you will need the edge of experience um mm. maybe i guess you can even later on or maybe even early on i don't know how many edges you've got hire somebody from the original company like from the uber that you're cloning yeah. locally to uh, to do that but we're just starting out so we, we don't want to overcomplicate it um go on uh, no no yeah i agree yeah, so most most likely you would be helped by picking, uh, and the reason why you're picking something that already works, or at least aspects, because this is really what it's at. You're picking up aspects of something that already works is uh, because you want validation. You want to save yourself the time. You're paying with the fact mm. that you're going to have competition or you're paying with the fact that you won't have maybe the first mover's advantage or whatever. But depending on your personality, most of the time it, it, it might be a trade worth having. Uh, then we need to talk about market dynamics as well. And, you know, we're discussing in a podcast, which is, uh, you know, two hour discussion or however long this will be. But um, at the end of the day, you will have to apply all these things out there. And maybe some of the stuff that I say will resonate with you. Maybe some won't. Maybe you have to do your mistakes. Maybe I'm putting out, you know, uh, advice that that with mistakes I haven't integrated within myself, but I think it's still a conversation worth having. So quick mention is about the market dynamics, picking up a market that is growing and 
or maybe one that's already big, like email marketing, I don't know how many billions, but just because it's growing 5%, like 5% of 100 billion means five new billions gonna be added every year into the market. Mm. You get 1% of that or 0.1% of that, yeah. that should be enough for you know for a business. So it's always options, always options. And I'm, I'm giving you a few uh, options that I can see just now talking about it, but you're gonna see the options better and you're going to have the, the quote-unquote vision when you're out there on the field, you know, scouting for yourself. So picking out an idea, I would say uh, that the road I would choose is integrating aspects from an industry plus a few businesses that come with the validation. So uh, a good friend of mine, Chris Franz, he started Loops.so. And basically what it is, uh, he's building a modern email service provider and there's plenty of email service providers but he's growing like crazy and he just raised a, a couple of mil and he that's with mrr it's not you know just raising for the sake of it and mm -hmm. i know he's he's doing a great job and you could look at it and say okay it's just another email service provider that integrate the you know the notion like block text editor um mm -hmm. uh you know content building experience and a few other modern things, but you know, it's, it's enough. Or you could look at somebody like Flowdesk. Flowdesk is just another email company, so to speak. But I mean, I can spin it and say they've built it for SMBs and it's this and that and it's word of mouth. But let me just put it this way. I think in their first year, they grew to, f was it 5 million ARR? I know they were at what? 15 million ARR in 2.5 years. And what I can tell you product wise is that they've taken the Again, it's it's very reductionist, but it's for the sake of understanding. I, I actually rate them since I'm talking about it. I love them. But you could say that they've looked at MailChimp, they've taken the email builder, and they made it modern and, you know, aesthetic and adapted it to SMBs. And that's how they've gotten to this. And it's one of my favorite stories. And if you look at them, they have that and they have forms, but the product isn't super complex. But that's the point because mm -hmm. it's for SMBs and SMBs don't mm -hmm. really prefer super mm -hmm. complex. Otherwise, they would have gone with MailChimp. But mm -hmm. um, those are outlier examples. Caveat, they spent a year, I think literally a year building the product and they had some very nice, few, very nice things lined up like uh, a very good referral program and unlimited mm -hmm. emails for 39 a month and a few USPs. But those things lined up, uh, you know, uh, come into something nice. And But anyways, I started giving them as an example for picking up something that already works. And I guess this, these two examples, because they're an email, yeah. are also examples for what I said about 100 billion and 5% and 5 new billion in the market. And picking an industry that is older, isn't growing like crazy, but because it's a behemoth, uh, those percentages can yeah. work well for you. So, uh, yeah, what do you think? Did, did we cover this correctly the idea thing or are we leaving a lot of untouched corners no i i i agree yeah i think it's much better to go into an existing market that's a big market and mm -hmm. especially in the beginning build a niche version or a specific version of something that you already know that works because it's as you said it's a tested thing right you know that it's chances are pretty high that it's going to work because otherwise you're it just it is the risk factor that you want to keep in mind right something um if you go into a tiny market or or creating a new market it's so hard and it's so risky right um yeah. it, it just 
it can cost you so much to educate the new market, um, yeah. to educate the customers about why they need this kind of solution. Yeah. It's really hard. You could do it, but again, it depends on what you want. I'm not, personally, I'm not looking for that anymore because mm. at one point I said, I've, I've already done it in my way, f enough to feed my ego, because I feel like it is worth talking about that. Maybe, maybe that's what you want to do for your ego. People say kill your ego, whatever. I feel, I feel like it's more about taming it and integrating it, but it doesn't mean you should act as if it's not there i feel like it's kind of like a beast if you, if you tame it it could you could work with that and maybe you do want to you know as part of your legacy you want to say i've invented something doesn't matter if it's small or big i mean if you if you need it to be big if you need to be elon musk level of innovation then well good luck with that that's that's a bit of a big appetite and you're gonna have to grapple with that see what you can do about mm -hmm. it but um if you want to have something that is either small or big. I think that's perfectly fine, especially in this world and age where uh, uh, it's so easy. To, it's much easier. It's easier than never to to do that. But um, nothing stops you from addressing it first, innovate first, and then uh, gather resources. Or you could look for something that gathers resources. And this is what this is why all these billionaires are doing all these crazy, stupid projects because they're like, uh, whatever. I, I'm still feeding myself off of that. But uh, yeah. Um, I just want to end with another example because I realized I've given two email examples. Uh, somebody that's familiar with me, Saba from Veed, Veed.io. Veed is an mm -hmm. online video editor. They've grown, mm -hmm. let's see, if I remember correctly, 1 million ARR in their first year. And then at one point they were at, I think, six, no, five after three years. I might be mistaken with that. But um, okay. what they've done is they've taken QuickTime or final cut pro or premiere and slowly 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 but surely made into a browser video editor and that's not a that's not a fantastically new idea but um i can tell you the the validation was there and it's it's obvious in hindsight when they started they didn't say oh look at this and you know just what i said at the beginning with my story sit down and pen and paper and market analysis and whatever at one point they were doing something crazy like fashion videos something ai whatever but I'm, I'm telling you the the story pivoted into let's just build an online editor that works in the browser and it's our mm. servers rendering the videos not your computer so you don't need a powerful computer anymore besides you know running a browser and loads of money to be made there um i think even five million arr they were adding about half a million per month uh half a million yearly so 500k arr wow. per uh, per month and uh, i don't even know the the numbers now because they stopped sharing them i can estimate them i guess but they're doing well and it's an idea where it those are gr those are good things and the what i'm trying to point out is that even in the beginning you won't know whether you're onto something great or not you need time for your crop to mature but uh mm. video editing nothing new it, it was already there and um besides that there are other video editors in the market which are doing good in terms of you know covering your cost of living and etc but um just another example of something that works and you know is uh is validated like yeah yeah uh, i got tired that's it <laughs> of the, oh. no no not for the podcast just for this specific example but we can carry on <laughs> let's carry on uh what is step two right or uh, yes the, that's the idea uh i think we covered I hope we covered that. Oh, actually, there's another thing about the idea. One thing that I hear over and over and over again on the podcast from the guests mm -hmm. is 
solve your own problem. I would say probably 70% of all the guests I had on the podcast, all the founders, they yeah. were like, we just, we just solved our own problem. Well, like this is my personal problem. There was no good solution in the market. And I just went ahead and I solved that. Um, initially, I thought that that can be dangerous because maybe it's just your problem. But actually, I, I, I'm now quite certain that the chances of that are pretty low. If it's a real problem and you actually try to find a solution and there is none, um, it's pretty good because you are your own target audience, right? So you know how mm -hmm. you want to solve it. Um, I think it's important not to get too um, centered just on yourself still, to still, you know, talk to users and figure out what they think and how they're solving it right now and um, what they want. But that seems to be a pretty good approach as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's about it. So then let's what's see. The second step? Next Build step. It. Or what's, um, what's the next step, actually? Not necessarily building it, right? Probably not yet. Could be building it. Could be. Like, there's no recipe. But, uh, yeah, some people jump right into building it. Some other people, I would say this is a bit more pragmatic, try to try to look for this validation. So you've already, you're, you're already picking up some validation from the market, the industry, mm -hmm. like video editor. Like, there's already Final Cut and QuickTime. No, not QuickTime. What's the name? Whatever. iMovie, blah, blah, blah. But... um. Now you're looking at that validation applied specifically to what you're building or to your user, better put. So in the next step, what I would do is I would obviously shape the idea, try and decide what I'm looking for, but don't overthink it because even if you're starting on the wrong foot, you will know how to pivot faster. So uh, mm. I wouldn't overthink it and it's normal to overthink, but like this, the faster you realize, the, the more time you're saving. Uh, pick anything and just start talking to possible users. Um, pro mode would be trying to pre-sell it. So sell mm -hmm. pre-orders, basically. Say, hey, if you if I build this and this and that, look, I'm gonna charge this much. How about I give you, uh, you know, pay me for a month or two and I'll give you a full year for free or whatever goodies you wanna yeah. put in there. Um, the reason why you wanna do this is because when people are taking out their wallet uh, and, you know, giving parting with, parting ways with their money that's the best you know sort of validation you can get pay attention to i guess your parents and close friends because that could be a bit deceiving but if you get strangers i mean somebody close is fine as well but if you get complete strangers parting ways with their money that's the best kind of vote people vote best with their money not with their words because it's easy to say yeah i would buy that and blah blah but unless they part ways with their money i wouldn't truly truly believe them and i guess even then as i said it could be close friends but it's business. There's no uh, nothing that mm. is 0% uh, uh, risk. So uh, at stage two, what I would do is I would put up something that helps them get an idea. Maybe if you're technical, I guess maybe something completely simple, fantastically simple that works. But I wouldn't do that because I'm not technical. What I've done with Simple, I think, is I've made mock-ups. And not even a prototype where you click and it goes to that and that and that. No, I've just made up a few... Uh, screenshots i made them up and it looked like it, it gave the user the idea of how it would work and i said this is what i'm building are you getting it not really because okay edited that to make it look like uh it's you know it makes a bit more sense are you getting mm -hmm. it now yeah how do you feel about it? well is this and that okay so instead of you spending 50 grand into <clears throat> building the product, you're trying to estimate your future a bit better by talking to people and seeing what 
you know, it's down to their imagination. But then again, you also haven't spent 50K into developing a product mm -hmm. in a few months. So it, it, it's a give and take. I would speak as much as possible with users and try and get their, it's called feedback. Yeah. Feedback is a bit of a wide word, but um, I would do that. And as I said, if you are able to pre-sell it, then it's even better because then mm. you, you're getting an even stronger, uh, uh, I guess, set of validation. If you're not getting it, then good news. B2B, you, have, you haven't spent, gone? For B2B, probably a little bit easier to pre-sell. I think for B2C, hard, in my opinion. Yeah, I try, I try not to think of it like that. I, Yeah, B2C. Because there's also prosumers, something in between, which is closer to B2C uh, in my head. But that, that's just how I think of it in my head. Like, if you don't think of it that way, you're not missing out on anything. Okay. Selling, pre-selling to B2B, it depends. It depends. It depends on how, how big B2B is. Because if it's enterprise, I know nothing about that, so I won't speak to it. Mm. But um, <clears throat> if it's more SaaS companies, yeah, obviously, because they have a bit more money and uh, they're, they're willing to spend it if it's something valuable. Yeah, it's a good point you're bringing up. Some people are saying don't ever go into B2C because uh, it's a different beast. I, I would tend to agree, although I don't agree with my behavior because simple, I think, is with for prosumers mm -hmm. in between B2B and B2C, but more towards B2C. We also have B2B customers, but uh, Legit Check is B2C, it's mainly mm -hmm. consumers. So, um, yeah, try it and see it. I mean... That's a bit of bad advice because everything I say could be summed up with try and see it. But yeah, step two, uh, maybe establishing the, the validation for what you're building. And you might have to be stuck at step two for a bit of a long time. But think about it this way. If you're stuck at it for six months, you're saving yourself three years of actually building, uh, getting depressed, wasting all that money, maybe being broke. I don't know your financial situation. So if you're dwelling here, it's fine. It's better to dwell a year here to save yourself 10 years. I would say. Mm -hmm. uh, and when I say dwell, I don't mean procrastinating. I mean dwelling to the point where, you know what? I've been trying three or four ideas and I pivoted them. Or the thing is, the mistakes are, you're doing here are cheap. Maybe you're doing the mistake of starting a, an email thing. And then it, when that doesn't work, you start something that is, uh, I, I don't know, like a note-taking app and then a weather app. And then so it's completely different stuff. And that's a bit of a mistake maybe because you might want to pivot based on what you find unless you generally don't find anything and you want to completely revamp it but how many times do you want to revamp it so the mistakes you're doing here are cheap it's like getting a cheap loan uh you're not paying that much interest and the interest here means time money energy and uh screw it maybe even your mental health most likely um so yeah mistakes here are quite cheap <coughs> do them as much as you can and try your best talk to people because at one point you might not be able to see your own mistakes but once you have that validation and i don't think you should fall in love with that like it won't be like nirvana it sounds a bit like nirvana because oh people are pre-ordering my stuff and no you're still scared shitlessly every night in a way not truly but like you're like mm, is this what it is because this and that and i can always think like when you're deeply into it when you don't know just the surface story it does feel like that uh, you just get a bit more of a push from behind. It's like an invisible hand uh, pushing you, pushing your back forward. And you're like, well, at least I've got this reason to keep on going on this idea. I still don't know, but let's find out. Um, that's when you get into step number three. And uh, yeah, let's see. Have we finished 
Have we wrapped off wrapped up uh, number two completely? You think? I think so. Yeah. Cool. Step yeah. three. As step three, I will start building it. Uh, it. It is my case, and you see how many ramifications there are to this story. And I missed that ramification about uh, maybe partnering up with somebody. So this is, of course, rough lines. But as step three, usually what I would do is I would start building. Because in my situation, it isn't me building and my edge is on building. I'm building, I'm trying to build this edge within myself to build distribution. That, that would be my mm -hmm. edge. Because this is my situation, um, the second product starts being developed, I start working on distribution. And I mean, I've even done it before that, but that was my risk. That was my, uh, uh, something I've calculated. Um, yeah, product gets developed and over there we get into a cycle where anything that gets built has to be validated first i would say because again you you want to you want to estimate your future as much as you can and you can't fully but that doesn't mean you shouldn't try so um supposedly a step two you have estimated your initial set of features because uh, or your initial problem that you're solving because you have been talking to users and then it's more of the same well that gets built but um, look, same person, Chris Franz from Loops, I mentioned him earlier. He said, he suggested at one point that you put up your sign up button, but uh, when you click that, people get sent to a Calendly link and they need uh -huh. to manually set up a kind of like superhuman, if you know the story. Mm -hmm. But if people don't, that's fine. It, it is what I'm saying now. People have to schedule a Calendly, like a Zoom call, like a video call, and he onboards them one by one. Mm -hmm. uh, that's in Chris's uh, scenario where he already had the product built, but I feel like you could do that even earlier. You could say, look, we'll show you a demo, we'll show you around, and maybe you can even pre-sell at the end. It, this sounds scary and it's easier to say because it takes me a few seconds to, mm -hmm. uh, you know, use my voice and say that, but um, it, it, it's, you know, it's for the people listening to take down and for myself as well, like when I get into that situation, I put it down on paper. It takes a few seconds to write, but then I, you know, meditate on it. And I'm like, well, okay, it would imply this and that. And a few seconds on paper means hours and hours in practice, but um, mm. that's work. Um, so I was giving Chris's example because he, that, he did that when the product was ready, but I feel like you could do it even before or as the product gets built. I have friends who do that. And I feel like, again, they're buying themselves time. They are spending a month to buy themselves a year off of a mistake it's mm. kind of like insurance in a way it, it doesn't feel it doesn't make that part of your brain tick you know that part that makes you say oh i'm making progress i can see yeah. visible stuff it doesn't make it which is why it's so hard which is why nobody does it or very few people do it but if you are able to uh conquer your monkey brain and uh circumvent that momentarily thing day in day out because it's a daily thing it pays off dividends in the long run, uh, loads, because as I yeah. said, you're saving, you're, you're buying yourself time. So yeah, product gets built, as it's getting built, show it to users. Uh, at the same time, people are usually maybe putting up an email list, uh, like a sign up link. What I've done, for instance, is with Simple Wink, is we've made listicles, no, not listicles, sorry, lists, like Notion or Airtable list. Like let's say, a uh, hundred plus no code resources, uh, 50 plus uh -huh. no code app builders, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then I shared them on Twitter. And to this day, it's still generating emails because we put them out for free. You need to pay quote unquote with your email to get them. And we've gotten, I don't know, five, 6,000 emails 
uh, based on that. Oh, wow. But um, I did obviously you need to be mindful about it because you want to get the right audience. So yeah. in my case, first one of the list was uh, 50 plus website builders or SEO resources. My thinking was I'm building a website builder. If people are looking to SEO, probably they you know have a website because not everybody, but like a good percentage of it's like a good audience. So um, now I have that you know, gathering people's interest and you want to be respectful about it. I've written that in an article, this whole strategy. You want to be respectful. You don't want to spam them and you want to be uh, very polite and say, you know, maybe you don't want to send too many emails, but um, that's just an example of, uh, of uh, building this distribution or setting your, making your life a bit easier for when you Did launch. You, you mentioned around 6,000 emails and you shared that on Twitter. Was that just, was that just your Twitter audience or how did that work? No, it was, it's across months. So, uh, yeah, it was my Twitter audience as well, but then some posts did become viral. Cause like, um, I was, I was, I was using some eye candy. I was using the SEO results from legit check and it was actually the list of resources we gathered across the years, myself and my brothers. We're like, Oh, this is sweet. This is nice. This uh -huh. I'm not feeling it, but Oh, look at this guy. This is such an innovative thing. So, um, Maybe you have some eye candy. Maybe you don't. Maybe you only gather, if you gather only 500 emails, that's fine. You're launching your product with 500 emails. You've got 500 people to talk to and you help them. They might want to spend 10 minutes with you on a video call because they're like, you know what? I've gotten your list of 50 plus, um, what should we say? Email newsletter strategy building courses or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're building something for email. So they're like, whoa, sweet. Some sometimes they even reach out to you. They're like, "Oh, the list was so helpful," and then you can ask them, "Do you want to spend ten minutes with me? Because I'm building this. I'd love to build it for you. Like, if you spend the time with me, I'll literally build it for your needs. Because I'm looking for people like you to like it. So it's like, uh, some people will be, will give out their time. Some won't. Depends on life priorities. But um, yeah, if you're building for somebody's needs, that's that could be a point of validation. But yeah, what was the point we were making? uh getting gathering the first emails to then yeah well we're talking about so building I, yeah i was saying building so it's ra two ramifications building the product and building the distribution that's yeah, what i would that's do right, yeah. and um yeah then should we stop here with this step i guess because it, it starts to get more and more complex and more and more fuzzy um we should actually do a part two for this. We should wait for people's reactions and, and we have to say, point. yeah, but you haven't covered that and you haven't covered that. And what about this and that? That's so well. Uh, Love it. Yeah. So everyone who's going to be listening until this point, uh, just, you know, write a comment, send me a message, whatever you want. And we can do part two at some point and just dive into those questions and maybe other aspects of, uh, beyond the building part and uh you know from there beyond growth and um and so on and so forth i mean i think the final thing that i would touch on a little bit is the actual launch right so i guess in using the process that you explained right now you'd probably just launch yeah. to your distribution list that you built yeah doesn't matter launch doesn't matter as much as it feels like because it's it's like one of the top reasons for procrastination and like top reasons for getting scared uh I'll make everyone's life easier. Launch doesn't matter unless you're Steve Jobs and you're doing hardware and, but nobody gives a shit about that. Like that, that was like mm. 2010. Of course it helped. It could help. But if you, if you're scared shitlessly about launch and you, you overthink it and you're like, 
postponing and no it has to be doesn't matter you mm. could you could you could not even have a launch and uh still end up having a profitable business that pays for your you know for your rent or for your house for your piece of real estate and for your family wife kids husband etc and for your whole family and never ever launch because it, the, the ball gets rolling so what that means is you like could you, have, you don't need to do like a big flashy thing or like whatever pr or whatever um you could just start advertising or start promoting it whatever whatever is the way that you promote it right? yeah and just if you're the person who can do there. it if you're the person who can do it naturally by all means do it that's your edge if you don't if you're not way above average on this i would i wouldn't skip it like of course maybe post a tweet if if you're able to but some people are scared even of that mm. um it, it is not detrimental because there's so many so so many product that had a big splash and launch and maybe it's just product hunt or maybe it was one of these companies that were doing i don't know half a million in arr with a hundred million uh being raised and that were killing it in terms of launches and pr and image and blah blah doesn't matter it could but it is not detrimental you if if you you could even build what's the opposite of building public i guess building private if you just don't stream it to anyone and that's a bit of an extreme example you might you might be making your life harder than it has to be but if you just uh focus on stuff that <clears throat> that uh keeps on giving like i'll just pick seo but there's other p things as well and you never have a launch you basically get all that traffic from um from search and it's not wise but you could do it without ever ever launching so um that's flash not detrimental mm, yeah that, that's pretty much what i have to say but it might be worth spending a few minutes but it is in the list of priorities that in the list of things that have an impact on your business uh launching is, isn't up there i suppose what you can also do is i mean you can actually have the product already out there and just call it i don't know it's beta or whatever and you know get some traction going and then do the, the official launch it's like okay now we're live when you feel the reason why i'm saying that is because at that point you maybe feel a little bit more comfortable with it it's like well okay it's already out there the users are using it i got some positive feedback so it's not as scary anymore but you could yeah. get some you can get some traffic you get some you can get some buzz going right if you manage to um if you manage to hit a pretty high spot on uh what's it called again product hunt or some of those mm -hmm. other pages it definitely can bring in some traffic and potentially some uh, paying customers right absolutely so as i said you you could do it it, it doesn't hurt but if it is affecting you in any way mm -hmm. okay don't don't ignore it like don't be so sensitive so as to if it you know gets you like one percent negative emotion i'm not doing it but um if it scares you shitlessly and you're mm. postponing uh, you're you're uh, <laughs> wasting all that time you bought yourself by talking to you and, and etc uh is detrimental so back to what we we're saying about twitter at the beginning of our conversation cost and benefits if launching launching has its own benefits but i'm saying the benefits aren't as big as uh you know um the benefits aren't worth affecting your costs of time. Mm. So if you're postponing with months That's because you're waiting for point. the perfect, because you're waiting for the perfect launch, you're you're carelessly spending the time you bought yourself. That's a very good point. Yeah, I love that. Um, I, I think um, mm. one point that I would touch on is, I think many people think that that's 
that's just well no let me put it differently i've seen a lot of products especially SaaS products where the person launches and then the product dies because they don't know how to promote it from then then on right it's like the only thing that's like yeah. the obvious thing is like okay we're just gonna post it on product hunt or whatever in some community on wherever it is right facebook reddit whatever it is and then it's like okay but now i don't know what to how to continue with that um what do you think so you know one method that you mentioned before is just creating some kind of content um posting that on on twitter and then getting customers through that uh, like the content that you mentioned mm -hmm. was like a list of tools or whatever it might be um what else do you think works well here obviously i mean there's a lot of caveats right it depends what business you're in depends what market you're in um maybe a better question is what do you have experience with or if you have any general advice after the product is ready i'm ready to start getting customers but i'm not really sure how to start getting traffic yeah i do have general advice here because as you said it, it depends and i hate saying it depends but it is true uh, and i think it's understandable uh the general piece of advice is the following there are a couple of things you could do there's only a handful of things like you could try and you know categorize them like uh, I guess email marketing and then it's dark social and blah, 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 blah. Doesn't matter. Uh, what matters is dark social. Did you say dark social? Yeah. Yeah. It's like stuff that gets shared on messages like WhatsApp messenger Snapchat, dark stuff social. that you can't track. Mm, it's a fancy way of saying stuff you can't track, cool. but, um, ignore it. It sounded fancier than it needs to be. Like I've overcomplicated it. I was just giving out examples of how you can, yeah. you could categorize them, but it won't help you. Yeah. Or maybe it would, but not as much. Um, what the general piece of advice here is in my case, and you know what they say that every time somebody gives advice is uh, what they're doing is they're advising their younger self. So people mm -hmm. are just giving advice to themselves. Mm -hmm. And Makes sense. It, it's kind of true because you can't, I can't advise you based on your experience because I only have mine yeah. in a way. Yeah. But um, what what is worth saying here is that there's only a handful of things you could do, you know, big buckets, I would say. Um, and the key, I think, is to pick something, that whatever works, and it's going to be boring after one point. But mm -hmm. if it keeps on working, just do the boring thing. And instead of looking for the next shiny object in terms of uh, marketing channels or distribution channels, I guess what you could do is put your head down, just like the guy that didn't want to come on the mm -hmm. podcast because he's uh, building 12 apps, mm -hmm. putting your head down. And um, yeah, instead of looking for the next shiny thing, the next uh, Hail Mary, just keeping on doing that. So maybe it's going to be Reddit comments in a Reddit community and it's going to take you six months. But if you keep looking for the next thing, um, I guess you can only look for the next thing when something doesn't work anymore and you are in the initial phase where you're exploring, but, um, then it's more of the same. And mm. I see many, many people getting stuck at that. Like they have something that's working, but they're like, yeah, but what if there's this Hail Mary thing? I just going to explode my thing overnight. Like, like affiliate, uh, systems, which I've seen in this company, even with them, they had months, if not years of stuff done before, because nobody just build a product in a month and then they put up an affiliate system and it just works. Mm, no, uh, there is, there is some, it, you might want to sit down and estimate that that's your best chance, your best channel. But even then uh, it's like a baby it's like a crop. You need to uh, take care of it. And yeah, 
in terms of distribution, I won't, I won't spend the time to categorize them, but more of the same, most probably, because it's very easy to lose yourself there and keeping on trying different stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, focus. Focus is important. I would say one thing that comes to mind when you're picking that first channel or trying to figure out where to actually promote it is, I think it's a Charlie Munger, Munger quote. He said, fish where the fish are. So just think about, I think that's the, the fundamental thing to consider, right? Like just think about who are your customers and where can you find them and or where do they spend their time and then promote mm -hmm. there. So if that's, um, uh, I don't know, designers, then go to some design communities, go to, what is it, Dribble, go to um, design subreddits and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah. that's that's probably the one thing to consider. But yeah, then obviously growth and distribution is a subject subject of it all uh, that we could talk about for hours, right? Okay, <clears throat> did we miss anything, or do we do we slowly start wrapping up at this, at this point? Loads of stuff that we missed because there's a lot of space in between what we talked about because we 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 tackled a very dense subject and. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say sorry for the people listening that we skipped over these things because I think it's understandable that we can't really cover. And if we would have the blueprint, I mean, it, it would be much easier. But um, yeah, I feel like we, we've covered uh, roughly um, the big picture. And I'm going to wait for the comments so we can do our part two and then address those things because everybody is is uh, applying what we said to their experience. Mm -hmm. But um that's how I would say in, in rough lines, uh, that's, that's the topic of starting a SaaS. And obviously the last step, which is continuous is, uh, well, there's no step. You just, once you have paying users, you, like this episode isn't for you anymore because we just talked about the initial phase. Uh, once you've got paying users and you're building and distribution starts to kick in slowly and you're like, oh, is this worth it? But then six months later, you're like, oh shit, it was going way better than I thought. But it isn't, it isn't going now. And then six months later, you're like, oh, you know, same cycle. It was going better than I thought a few months ago. But now maybe it isn't going as well because it takes time for this to mature. Once distribution kicks in and product kicks in, and it's okay, but it's shitty. But it, it gets a few users, but not too many. Or it solves the problem, but not exactly. Um, yeah, you're starting with this broken car, basically. So you just birthed this new baby into the world, but it looks like a broken car, <laughs> uh, which is your SaaS product. Uh, welcome to the life of SaaS, I guess. Uh, it gets better and better, even though it's shitty. But mm. um, then is you will know what to do. You will feel lost at times. You will never know I have to do this exact thing, but you will kind of know what to do because uh, it's more of the same. As I said earlier, boring stuff more of the same terms of distribution, more of the same terms of talking to your customers. And you're gonna do that anyway with customer support and looking out for other pieces of advice, just like this one or, or who's done what. And uh, yeah, then you're on, you're on your own. The process doesn't look the same anymore or the process isn't as similar as it is in the initial phases. Um, so yeah, I think that's, because the topic was how to start, right? It wasn't how to start and run. So. This podcast is going to be, we're just going to put a title, how to start a SaaS business. And the next one's going to be how to grow and run a SaaS business. Oh my God. I, I'm, I'll be honest. I don't think I'm, I'm the one to do that because it's like, that's a, that's an entire, entire conversation <laughs> of its own. It's like a season it is like a never ending thing. Well, then maybe, but, um, maybe it needs to be a series of podcasts. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, who, we'll, knows? We'll who knows? We'll see. 
We'll see. Cool. Um, well, before we forget, two truths and one lie. So what was the lie? I said it was the profit margin. No, I'm, no, I'm, it isn't I, that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I knew you were going <laughs> to say it's not. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, was it 24 and 18? That was correct. Yeah, that's... Oh, I think I think I said half a million users in our first year. Yeah, something like that, yeah. Yeah, that was the lie. I think we had 200,000 users in our first year. <laughs> but um, I was thinking of like what sounds maybe believable with a 10 million users uh -huh. uh, milestone. But yeah, no, the 95% profit margin is, is easily explainable because um, it's, um, it's for legit check. And basically, at the end of the day, people are paying for information. Mm -hmm. So information means somebody sitting on their butt somewhere on a on a chair, hopefully from our company, <laughs> we give them chairs. So it's, it's good. They have chairs. Um, and they're sending you out a message and uh, there's a lot of reputation on the line and a lot of virtual stuff, you know, stuff in our head. Cause like if we would ever mess it up, it would cost us. Yeah. But, um, yeah, th that's how the profit margins are being explained. Cause it's a digital service. So that's how it becomes true. Like, uh, we just have running costs. That is yeah. insane. That's very good. Um, and I think you're doing around 200k in revenue, is it? That's the numbers that I saw somewhere online. 200, 250k mm. a year, something like that. Yeah, at the moment. Nice. Well, we're going to wrap up at that. Um, if you did listen until the end, thank you so much. Um, and yeah, leave some comments or message me with any questions, with feedback, with, you know, leave us a review. That's super helpful for everyone to find the podcast. Um, obviously, we're going to link to all the Daniel's channels as well in the, in, the, in the episode notes. So give him a follow. And that's it for today. Thanks, man. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Matisse. I loved it. And I think you've done a great job as an interview because the, the conversation was flowing and uh, it felt like a like conversation you have with someone, not like a that's, bunch of questions. So compliments on that. That's compliments the Founders that. Lounge, you know? You just come and hang out and yeah. chat about founder stuff. That's it. It's in the nice. Thanks Thank so much you. for having me. I appreciate it. Awesome.